I'm going to invite you to turn to the book of Hosea while I get all pumped for this new series that we're going to do together out of Hosea on uh, Recovery Road. Uh, Hosea is one of those shocking books when you read it um, and what it's, it contains. And I want, you, I want you to know as we go through this book, we're going to go through the highlights of what is the book of Hosea. In your own personal time, if you want to be shocked, I'll tell you, read that book and uh, check it out in different translations of scripture. I'll tell you even the paraphrased versions of scriptures that relates to this book. Paraphrases have the tendency of just packing in statements where this book is intended to give you a power punch to kind of shock you. You, you don't want to sit down and read this with your grandmother. This is kind of, <laughs> you, you blush in the room when you're both present going through the book of Hosea. Uh, but this is a good book for us. As we already dive into this, as you find the book of Hosea, it's in the Old Testament, uh, just after Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and then the book of Hosea, you'll find there. It's, uh, it's not an extremely long book, but it's got enough chapters for us to get some very good content in, in it together. Uh, some of the things we're going to be looking at, uh, the idea of judgment, you know, the, people like to quote, um, uh, it's not godly to judge one another or biblically, don't, don't judge me when you've got a log in your own eye, the splinter in my eye, uh, how God wants us to examine ourselves. We're going to talk about insecurity. We're going to sit the foundation for what the book discusses today. We might enter in a little bit on, uh, um, I'm just citing this for the last message, but on sexuality, our, our culture's obsessed with it. Hosea centers on it but in a way that's uh, gracious, loving, but challenging to us as individuals. I'm not looking to um, bash any particular person or group, but what the Bible challenges us in in the book of Hosea for, for us personally and what God desires for us. And so I'm excited about this. Uh, we should all be approaching this with a little more energy today because you got an extra hour of sleep, baby, right? Uh, Okay, whatever. Some of you are like, no, nah, I got kids. They don't know how to read a clock. They got up anyway. I had to get up. I'm kind of angry this morning. <laughs> That's how that works. If, if you're like me, that was my house. Dad, hey, Dad, go to bed. <laughs> All right. Well, this book for us, the book of Hosea, is a, a beautiful book that... Um, really paints for us in a shocking way, God's story of redemption in our lives and how it transforms our hearts, where God meets us in the crossroads of the messiness of what life is. We see God as a, a holy God in this book, but a God who gets, who gets messy. Uh, sometimes when you think about God in a religious context, you sort of see him as this, this uh, God off in the distance that you're never worthy to just receive his love and, and you hope to God you're just good enough that he might accept you at some point in eternity. Um, but the story of, of Hosea is the opposite. It's a God who enters our world in that messiness and, and encourages us right where we are to see by his power the transformation that can take place in our lives. Beautiful book in that sense. And so when we go through this together, it's not only important to see how this this book meets you in this story. Like God didn't just intend this story for Hosea and the people that are there, but he wrote this story so that we could all intersect, uh, intersect our lives with it and how God wants to uh, impact us and to use this story, to leverage this story how, in, in ways that God can meet other people and where they are on their journey in this world. And so when this book was written, because of the content of this book, when this book was written, it, it, it's written in a history that it's very powerful in the way that God would want to, to use such a dynamic story to impact people. Uh, this book was written around 750 B.C., and if you know anything about Israel's history in 750 B.C., they're sort of at the pinnacle of what they are, um, they, they have, uh, financially, they are in a place where they've, they've received in such a way that they're, they're really not in need in comparison to other nations, other people groups. 
And so they're sort of in this place where they're, they're kind of lulled spiritually to, to sleep. And, and the things that they're interested in life is just whatever makes them happy. But at this particular point in history, Israel is also going through a division. Hosea is more particularly writing his message or sharing his message with the northern tribes of Israel. Uh, in Israel's history, they have a king, uh, Saul, and eventually David, and then Solomon. And then Israel has a civil war, and they split into. Actually, it's more like they split into five-sixths. Um, ten tribes go to the north. Two tribes go to the south. The southern tribes are referred to as the tribes of Judah. Judah was the larger of the tribes. It was the tribe Jesus came from. So two tribes in the south, the tribes of Judah. And the tribes in the north, the tribes of Ephraim, sometimes referred to in the north as Israel. Uh, they sort of refer to Israel as the northern tribes in the Old Testament. But oftentimes when they're specifying those ten tribes, it's, it's sp- uh, spoken about as the tribes of Ephraim because that was the largest group of those ten tribes that went to the north. And so they're in that division now in their history. They've been split Hosea is going to the north to preach this message, but he summarizes this message for the entire nation. And what happens with Israel when it splits, the, the, the southern tribes, they, they somewhat have a godly, godly lineage, some godly kings that lead, and they have some ungodly kings that lead. The northern tribes really don't have any godly kings that, that lead. And by about 722 BC, not long after Hosea's message, uh, the northern tribes are taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And the Lord uses that as judgment to call Israel to repentance. And the same thing he does a little later with the southern tribes, 586 BC by the Babylonians, they're taken into captivity. So before this captivity, God is bringing this message of, uh, of judgment to Israel. We, we've talked about this in the, in the very last message last week that we shared from Obadiah, that God used his uh, prophets to speak to covenant Israel under the covenant they have agreed to in the Old Testament to call them to repentance, to draw them back to God. And so it's, it's sort of this, this judgment and salvation that's mentioned in the content of the prophets, that God's desire for them is to walk with them. There's judgment if, if they refuse to walk with him, but God's ultimate desire is salvation, the rescuing of them, that those people would belong to him. And Hosea is a similar book following that backdrop of what prophets are. And so when he starts this message in Hosea chapter 1 and verse 1, it it lays it out for us, just a foundation for us. The word of the Lord came to Hosea, meaning these aren't Hosea's words, but these are God's inspired words, the message that he desires to be delivered to Israel, particularly into the north. Which came to Hosea, the son of Bari, during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. I'll pronounce all those right, just so you know. All right. So Hosea is giving this message, and he's dating for us when it takes place. He lists all the northern kings. Israel had a succession of northern kings at this time. He lists the, the southern king. So in a, in a time period, you, you know when this is being expressed. This word of the Lord came to him during this time. What's particularly important as we look at this first chapter together is to understand the way God wants to communicate his message. One, he asks Hosea to do something that's shocking. And two, he uses the names of the individuals within the first chapter of of this story to paint the picture of the message he desires to deliver. And the individual God chooses to share this message is an expression of the message he desires to share. Not that he's a prophet, but that the name itself, Hosea. It literally means salvation. God is delivering, bringing salvation to those that 
really are not interested in it. Northern tribes of Israel, not following after any godly king at this point in their history, reaching the pinnacle of what the northern tribes achieved in their success, started to fall into the, the worship of Baal, which is a false god, a god that they would even sacrifice children to. And in the backdrop of the worship of this false god, the one true god is bringing to Israel salvation. When they're not looking for God, God is looking out for them. And to order, in order to penetrate this culture, the hardness of heart, the deadening that they're experiencing on the inside, the lack of desire they have to, to, to draw near to God, God, God says to Hosea, in this message, I want you to do something so shocking. I mean, it's going to wake people up from their grave, right? As a prophet, as a holy man in this nation, here's, here's what I want you to do. Verse 2, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take for yourself a wife of harlotry. I'll tell you, some translations get a little more colorful in how they express this. But take for yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry. For the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So he's saying, Hosea, I want you to take a prostitute. And this prostitute is going to illustrate how Israel is responding to me in our relationship together. You're literally going to use your life as a living example of how people receive me. It's like God saying, somewhere along the way, people forget I'm a being too. I care. And they've ignored who I am. And I want to awaken them to the reality of the hardness of their own heart to recognize I'm here. And salvation has come. God desires to draw near to them. And so he uses this prostitute. And you think in your mind for, uh, for, for a moment, well, I mean, how, how would you handle this as Hosea? <laughs> I mean, at the next family Christmas gathering, how do you introduce this? Hey, everyone, here's my new wife, right? Self-employed, <laughs> a real go-getter, <laughs> a people person, maybe. I, I mean, how do you... How do you explain that to people? Are you happy for me? <laughs> right? But God is, is using this as if to say to us, listen, there comes a place in our own hearts, in our own lives, that we get so dead on the inside, so calloused in where we are. I mean, God has really got to shock us to get us to waken up to the deadness that's inside. And it's not the harsh things that do it. It's the lulling of comfort in life, really. And it's where Israel was. And so, Hosea, I want you to, I want you to really share this in a way that impacts hearts. I want them to really to see, to think about the, the God that they're, they're leaving behind because of my love and care for them. Salvation has come. And so then it says, so he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Deblame, and she conceived and bore him a son. Gomer, her name means completion. And what God is just saying in this story, that, that we as people aren't complete until salvation's come. 
And until God enters into our lives, transforming our life, I mean, the story of, of our existence goes like this. God creates us for his purpose, for us to enjoy eternity with him forever. And then in that, we, we've rejected God. We've sinned. We've rejected God. God has, has promised us redemption. And in that redemption, he wants to restore, making all things new, bringing peace and shalom in our lives for all of eternity. And so therefore, it's not until salvation comes that we experience the completion for which we're created in God. And it's not this instantaneous salvation, but the Bible tells us in the word salvation that it often expresses it as a word that's used moment by moment. That every day of your life, there is not a moment where you aren't saved outside of Christ. And in Christ, you are always being saved. His blood continually rescuing you in your state in life that you may enjoy him for all of eternity. You get to experience that relationship now. And Hosea is desiring to, uh, to be used of God to awaken Israel to this message uh, that, that, that completion has come. And then it says in verse 4, And the Lord said to him, talking about the child that he has, Name him Jezreel. For yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On the day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Now, what is all that? Like, first of all, let me say this. Um, let's talk about baby names for a minute. <laughs> I mean, we've had a few introduced already. Hosea, okay, maybe. Gomer, okay. Put that on the back burner a little bit. But Jezreel, <laughs> the name means judgment. If you're going to have like, if you're thinking, I want to have a kid, he is going to be the next impact player in the NFL. We're talking linebacker. Can I just submit to you this morning, Jezreel, right? It is about to get Jezreel up in here, right? I mean, whatever team Jezreel plays for, it is going down. That's what he's saying in Jose. This, this word means it's judgment. I mean, we see Israel's, Israel's response to God and God using prophets to proclaim that there is judgment coming. And so this, this message of this first child is declaring that there is, there is judgment coming. And then when you get to verse 6, commentators, theologians are a little bit uncertain as to how this plays out in the relationship of Hosea and Gomer. But it kind of gives this indication. It says in this passage that that Jezreel is born to Hosea. But the next children to follow, there's sort of mystery touted around them. It doesn't necessarily qualify Hosea as being the child. It's kind of saying, to, or as being the father, excuse me. It kind of says to us, looks like Gomer's past is catching up with her. And then it tells us in these, in these next verses, then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, name her Lo-Rahman, which for I, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I would ever forgive them. Her, her name literally means, I don't know if you would maybe be interested in this baby name, but it means no mercy. And judgment is coming and there is no mercy. Gomer's past catches up with her. I don't know where this child comes from. It could have uh, out of anywhere. And, 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 and now this child is conceived and no mercy. And then in verse 8 and 9, it says, When she had winged no mercy, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And again, who knows? 
where this child has come from. And it says, and the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people and I am not your God. This name, Lo-Ami, it literally means not my people. As if to say Hosea with Gomer. Hosea, this, I told you to marry this woman and love this woman as I am loving Israel. And, and now you have children to love that aren't even, they're not your children. And I'm not saying that this isn't something where God wouldn't want us to love, but God's painting in this picture uh, uh, something about his love and the way that, that Israel's responding to him, that he really wants Israel to, to see about his concern and care, even in the most difficult circumstances. I mean, if you've ever been in these types of tensions of relationships, I think in all of our lives, at some point we felt like Gomer, at some point we felt like Hosea. And, and Gomer made me the situation, she's kicking herself, she can't get past her past, it keeps catching her, right? And Hosea wants to love, but the pain of just going through these moments is, seems like it's too much to bear. This gets real, doesn't it? <laughs> And so in verse nine, he finally has something he calls not my people. And, and when God writes this in verse nine, he uses Hosea to, to, to share this message. Something interesting about the way God chooses to, to word this should have really cut deep to the heart of the identity of Israel. Because you gotta think, when, when you're Israel's people, you're not necessarily walking with God. I mean, you, you might be thinking to you, preferential treatment, we're still better than everyone else. God called us, not you, right? And so we're special. We're just always lovable because we're lovable for no reason, really. We're just lovable. Um, when God says in verse nine, and the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people and I am not your God. What God actually says in this, I am not your God, in this phrase, what he's saying in this passage, I am not your God, is he's using the same word that God intersected with Moses. I am. Exodus chapter three, when God encountered Moses and Moses finds God's name for the first time. God's name, he says to them, is I am. I am. And in verse nine, what he's saying in this passage, is guys, to you, I am not I am. The people I've called out of the wilderness to walk with me. The people I've set free. The people I've covenanted with and the people that I've created to experience relationship with me. I'm not that. Israel, he brings them to a point to recognize exactly where they're at apart from him. And then in verse 10, things change. It says in verse 10, yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sands of the sea. I mean, you just remember, you're not my people. Now all of a sudden he's saying, yeah, you are. The number of the sons of Israel will be like the sands of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. 
Israel, you're at a place where you're just crying out saying, can, can God just get one person, just one person? And yet I'm telling you that you're not even gonna be able to, me- to measure the people that will belong to me. In the midst of the messiness, in the midst of the destruction of sin, God's healing and salvation is declared. And he begins to use Hosea as a, as a picture to express this. I mean, could you imagine uh, verses uh, four and on as Hosea's uh, family grows, but not by him. And he's, and, he's, and he's looking at this moment and he's hurt and, and he's just seeking after his wife the way God is seeking after Israel. And then someone comes up to him and says, hey, Hosea, I don't want to be the one to tell you this, but I just, I just ran into Gomer and she's in the other city in the arms of another lover again. How, how that would feel. When Hosea becomes an expression for us, a picture to us, uh, for us just to awaken on the inside for a moment and say, yeah, but, but you, you think of Hosea's circumstance and, and that, that's painful to think about, to, to be on either side of this. And, but what about you and God? Where is your heart in that? Is it dead? Is it hardened? Have you fell into the arms of other lovers to callous yourself in such a way that the relationship to the Lord has become obsolete? And then God says something. Chapter three, verse one. The Lord saying to Hosea, the Lord said to me, go again and love a woman who is loved by her husband and yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I, I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. Why in the world are raisin cakes and barley here? Right? <laughs> Can't, you know, after I'm done today, when I leave church, I'm just give me a raisin cake. <laughs> Raisin cakes, they think, is some sort of ritual uh, that was performed in worship of the false god of Baal. And, and so they're saying to her that there she goes again, following after other lovers. But Hosea, you're demonstrating my love, remember. And so I want you to pursue her. As she runs away, I want you to pursue her. And, and here's how far I want you to go. I want you to buy her back out of slavery. She's gotten so low that she is in slavery, but I really want her to see my love that even at her lowest point, you pursue her in love as a demonstration of my love for her. So buy her. Historically, the common price of a slave was around 30 shekels. But when you read the content of this story, you'll see in verse 2 that when Hosea goes to buy the slave, he doesn't pay 30 shekels, he pays 15 shekels and some other things, some other goods that he provides. And, and so some commentators think this, that, that Hosea, when it came to buy his wife out of slavery, didn't have the finances to buy her out of slavery. So he literally had to give everything that he had for her. When you look at the backdrop of the content of the story in that way, 
and says to us this morning, it doesn't matter who you are, how low you feel like you've gone, how desperate and dark your situation may feel. There is no extent to which God's love would not pursue you for him. Everything for you. Hosea demonstrates this, and I want to tell you in the, um, in the weeks ahead, I do want to focus a little bit more on, on, on Gomer, but I want, to, I want to really turn the table and think about Hosea this morning. But let me just say this about Gomer. <clears throat> Usually when the Bible declares something for us, a thought for us, it's oftentimes because the antithesis of that statement is true. God really wants us to see his grace and love, I think, because oftentimes in our lives we struggle with how much we don't feel like we are worthy of his grace and love. And it's true. There's nothing that we do to avail God's love for us that makes us lovable. But his nature, his nature declares it. And he demonstrates it anyway. And I think sometimes we sink so low and sometimes we get to such hard places that we just, we need reminded that there is hope and there is love and there is grace. So much so that God chooses even some of the most shocking stories to share that with us. Like Hosea and Gomer. And so I think maybe if I just paused on Gomer and I just gave this final thought with her, I would say this for you. Um, if, if your heart feels dead in your walk with God, if it feels like it's gotten into a lull like Israel, if, I mean, just, just reflecting on the magnitude of this love and God's desire to transform. Look, look, I mean, what he said in this verse is not only is it just one child, but God's gonna have children in the sand of the sea. So it's, it's, not, it's not enough just to get by. God isn't coming here to rescue you just so you can be like, finally, I've just, I've just got my head above water. But rather, God wants to raise you up out of the ashes in him so that you can, you can be called a child of the king, be lavish, new as a new creation in God, and enjoy the expression of what that means in your life. I mean, God sets you free from darkness and a background that, that chains you so that you can leave that behind and walk in newness of him. And I don't want to sound like, for some of us, it's going to be like a light switch. I mean, sometimes there's real struggles in it. I think Gomer's in a real struggle in it. But to remind her of that position in Christ is what helps her find freedom in who she is in Jesus. But let me say this about Hosea, because this is, I think I'm not going to focus much on this thought as we move forward, but, but it's important today. Because Hosea is a representation of the broader picture of who the Lord is. And I I really want to focus on the Lord as we move forward because that sets the foundation for everything and invite us into that. You look at this story through through the image of Hosea and, and Gomer and you see that in this story, God has a vision and a burden. God has a vision for people and a burden for them so much so that he gives everything for that. God has a, has a vision and a, and a burden. And I don't want to share that in a way that makes us think, oh, uh, God had this thought all of a sudden to rescue people, okay? Uh, l- let me blow your mind with a concept of God. God doesn't have thoughts. And I'm not saying God's ignorant, but God doesn't have thoughts. And the reason that God doesn't have thoughts is because in order to think something, it's inferring that you didn't know it to begin with. So we have thoughts because we are learning new things. 
And in order to think about God, we anthropomorphize him sometimes so that we can understand him in a, in a human capacity of which we operate. But God does not have thoughts. When we talk about God's vision and burden for people, this has been what God has predetermined from the beginning of time. From everlasting to everlasting, God is God. But here's, here's where it becomes important for us. Because when God has a vision and burden for things, and we grab a hold of that vision and burden with God, we see glorious things take place. And so Hosea in this story becomes one who carries the same vision and burden as God for a particular person or a particular people group. And sometimes in our story, we are gomers. And other times by the grace of God and the rescuing of his hand, salvation comes to our life. And that burden and vision that the Lord carries for this world becomes our vision and burden for people around us. I mean, it can happen in any context. It can happen for a person. It can happen for your family. It can happen for your valley. I mean, God can lead your heart in particular ways. But what's important in order to be motivated to see God carry you through is that God leads you in his vision and burden for the people around you. We all need a vision and burden. But can I tell you in Hosea's situation, it looks a little overwhelming. Because I, I can't help but acknowledge in that burden for Israel and that vision for Israel and for, for Gomer, there's pain with that. Any real thing you do for the Lord, it will come with adversity. And Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. I mean, when you're really stepping out in faith, you know you're really stepping out in faith when, when you're following after God to do something that you're like, man, I, on my own, there is no way. And so can I give you some comfort in, in just how to work through that? How, how maybe in your life, if you feel like, if you feel like a, a, a Gomer, we've expressed that, but if you're coming to things and you feel like a, a Hosea, can I tell you, all of us get to that place where we don't know what to do. But may I also say, by faith, that's the best place to be. You know, this week I called a friend of mine who's a pastor that started a church years ago, and, and um, it, it's, it's grown. And, and this is what he said to me. He said, um, I was like, hey, just impart wisdom to me. I want to I wanna know. He's, uh, the church is a few thousand people, and I'm not interested in that, but I just want to I want to do things well, and I know that he's done things well. And so I called him and asked him, and he goes, well, I tell everyone the same thing. Um, not knowing what to do is, is where you need to start. Right? In fact, he said, if people knew how much I, I didn't know, they would probably be scared to come to church here. <laughs> Man, to, to be honest, when you're following after God and you get into situations most of the time we've not been in those situations before. And so when we're trying to navigate through those things, we just don't know what to do. But can I tell you the most comforting thing in that? You know the one who does. Like sometimes if we could see step four, five, and six of where God was gonna lead us, we would never take that first step. But I think God puts us in the darkness in those situations many a times just so he can lead us because he knows how to do it better than we do ourselves.
And we look at circumstances and sometimes we know the calling is bigger than ourselves and whatever God's going to lead us to and being Hosea's in circumstances. But can I tell you, if you're wondering if you have the strength, I think it's even okay in those moments to recognize you don't have the strength. I don't have the power for what it takes to see my family grow in the Lord. I don't have it. I don't have the strength to see this valley come to know the Lord. I don't have it. I don't have it. And sometimes we can say, I I don't have the strength to get up tomorrow. I don't have it. The Lord does. The Apostle Paul, if I just ask for a moment this question, um, Paul, you did incredible things for the Lord. You did powerful things for Jesus. I mean, how, how could you even do those things? I, in my mind, like getting up tomorrow and seeing my kids just not fight for a day, that would be a success. But you're, I mean, you're talking about a guy used by God to see a world transformed. What's your secret? What is the secret? I think Paul told us repetitively in scripture. Can I give you just a couple? And all of these things, look, he doesn't just say I. And all of these things, we are more than conquerors, look, through him who loved us. I think Paul's indicating for us the place where he's found the beginning of the strength to do what God's called him to do and that he found himself as Hosea with a God who was just relentless in pursuing him. We conquer through his love. Allowing the Lord in those moments to recognize, I don't have the strength, God. I don't even know what to do, but you know the one who does. And so in those moments, you're you're lavish in his presence so that moment by moment by faith, you're learning as Hosea how to walk with him. And when that challenge in your life, the greatest lesson you're going to learn in it, it's not what you do. Rather, it's how God's going to use that circumstance to grow you with him. Hosea is learning moment by moment, not having the strength, not having even the answers, how to walk with Jesus and in that faith, seeing his relationship with God grow himself. Paul said this in Philippians 4.13. This is the famous one, right? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, this is talking about in relationship to Jesus. This isn't talking about if you just believe it, you get a Lamborghini. That would be great if we could manipulate this verse to say that. That's not what this is saying, okay? Selfishly, it's not what this is saying. What it is saying is, is the way Jesus leads you and transforms you. That's where he gives you the strength to continue to empower you to what God's called you to do. And can I tell you, these verses are one of these verses where you as a believer in a crossroads, when you meet it, this is, this is what happens. You either believe it or you don't. God is big enough or he isn't. But the only way you discover that is in the challenge of that circumstance. You learn to trust him as you walk with him. And sometimes we look at our challenges and we're like, could you, just, could you just get it to go away? And could you get it to stop? And little, little we see those circumstances as sometimes God uses that as the very foundation to grow our own faith in him. And so at the end of chapter one of Hosea, 
I mean, he gives all those verses that are just like, ah, oh, this is hard. You're, I'm, you're not the I am to me. And the, the names of these kids, I'm not naming my kids these names. But when you look in verse 10, what he says, at the very end, you are the sons, or some translations say the children of the living God. So when this God is living, there is always hope. In Israel, he's already remarked that the worship in which they, they are pursuing, it's cisterns that are broken, it ends in deadness, it's an idol that is not real. But what we're talking about is the living God. It's the living God. Can I tell you this week, just studying this, and this this passage helps me get all Jezreel in my life, right? Like, oh, it's about to get real. I can't, I can't even wait. Let me out of it. I'm just sitting there studying God's word. I'm like, I, I have got to get out of this room and just do stuff, man. This is good. And you think about ABC's future. This is good. If we, if we as a church lavish ourselves in this passage, the vision and burden of God, if, if God creates our heart new in this and God continues to fuel our passion for, in his passion for the people around us, man, how powerful that is. I believe it or I don't. But if I grab it and I live it like it is real, I don't have to be a pretender. I don't have to know what the next steps are. I just need to walk with the one who does. How much God can use us to transform, not just people around us, but even our own lives. Man, we don't live like people that are just good enough to get by, lulled to sleep, but rather, I mean, we become lions for the Lord. Just as he is the lion of the tribe of Judah, we become uh, just furious warriors for him and, and, and with a relentless love that transforms life around us. If we could just saturate ourselves in that. Can I give you just a practical thing? I wanted to mention this at the beginning, but I forgot. Um, as a church family, we're even thinking about foundationally our, our own facility, how we can continue to grow, to invite people in, to be a part. And, and I told you this year four times we're gonna take an offering on Fifth Sunday's to, to just go towards that vision and that burden for our area, for our families, for any future families a part of ABC. And last week we took an offering. And uh, for this first part, we need about $10,000 to want to put a sign on our building, freshen up a little bit with paint, knock down this scary building in the, in the back. And then we hope to get a master plan for the building of our church and, and buy some land so we can expand. So those five things. But we wanted to do the first three first. Sign, paint, knock down this house. We need $10,000, and we took an offering last week, and we, we got about half of that for us to go towards that cause. And so I want to thank you as a church family for that because that's a reflection of our desire to see God continue to work in us and through us. That's just one way. More than just gathering here on Sunday, I mean, something that we should delight in as a church is how each of us continue to live the life of Hosea beyond these walls. I think one of the ways it helps us to do that is we all know what it's like to be a gomer. How we weren't complete until salvation. When we begin to experience that, it doesn't, it doesn't matter how empty or, or without strength or uncertain you may think the next couple of days may be, you know, you know the one who is true.
And you get to walk with him in that to see how God works in our brokenness. This message has been brought to you by Alpine Bible Church in Lehigh, Utah. If you'd like more information, please visit us online at alpinebible.com.